Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. This weekend, Bottomless Brunch begins at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy Bottomless Mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for only $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree, be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball. We always encourage you to walk on over to Walters. Walters is also the perfect place to watch football with friends, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here comes Sessa's 3-2 pitch. Swing a high drive left field deep toward the corner. The shield's back looking up and it is gone. Right down near the foul pole. Soto has done it again. His second opposite field homer in a row, his 29th of the season, RBI 92, and Juan Soto's reached base in 10 consecutive plate appearances. Nationals lead 3 to nothing, and they chose to pitch to him, and he made them pay. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, September 24th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, when we saw Kyle Schwarber do what he did this past June, I think we all said to ourselves, man, this is one of the greatest months that any Nationals player has ever had. This certainly is going to prove to be the best month that any Nationals player has this season. Uh, Maybe that's going to end up being the case. But that's certainly not a certainty at this point, because Juan Soto right now is in another universe, and he continued an amazing tear in a Nationals win on Thursday night. A 3-2 victory at the Cincinnati Reds in game one of a four-game series. Soto continues to put up video game numbers, and I just want to make this point about the Schwarber June. So Schwarber and June hit 16 home runs and slugged 760. Juan Soto now, in this month of September, is slugging 838. He has a 473 batting average this month. He has a 608 on base percentage this month. The numbers are incredible. The frequency with which this guy is getting on base is remarkable. And Mark, we are watching something really special right now. We are watching something, Al, that in all honesty has only been done a handful of times in baseball history. And I'm trying really hard not to turn this into hyperbole and to say things that don't deserve to be said. But we mentioned it the other night, and I put the stat out again tonight because he's now crossed a couple other names off the list. 24th time this year that he's reached base four times in a game. And now we're at a point where the only players who have ever done it more than 24 times in a season, who've done it more than him, are named Ruth, Gehrig, Williams, and Bonds. And that's it, okay? If you ask somebody who are the four greatest hitters in the history of baseball, those might be the four names right there. 
So that's the company that he is keeping. And it's not hyperbole to say that at this moment, at least, he deserves to be in that conversation. Doesn't mean he's had the career they're going to have. Doesn't mean he will have the career that they had. There's a long way to go for that. But in this moment, what he is doing right now, it is comparable to what those guys did. And that is just an astounding thing to consider. Juan Soto on Thursday night, three for three with two solo homers, a single and a walk. I feel like it was on this night that Soto kind of crossed into that realm of his plate appearances now are must-see. I don't know that that was necessarily the case prior to Thursday night. I mean, this is a subjective thing, I'll grant you, but it now kind of feels like, no, this is must-see. When he hits, this is must-see. You don't know what's going to happen. Soto in the top of the first drew a one-out nine-pitch walk to set a new Nats slash Expos record for most walks by a player in a season at 131. Soto in a Nats one-run third had a two-out full count single up the middle despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Soto in the top of the sixth, the first of his two homers, an opposite field leadoff homer to left field for a 2-0 Nats lead. Soto in the top of the seventh, a two-out full count opposite field solo homer to left field for a 3-0 Nats lead. His home run count now up to 29 on the season. He now leads the majors in batting average. Forget about this National League batting title stuff. This is an MLB leading 325 batting average for Soto. His major league leading on base percentage is up to 470. It wasn't that long ago we made a big deal when he crossed over 450. It's now at 470. He's slugging 559. He's second in the majors in OPS at 1,029. Again, video game numbers. It's amazing what this guy is doing. And Bryce Harper better not look over his shoulder because Juan Soto is creeping <laughs> up on him. Even in the OPS category, he's, what, 20 points behind now? I mean, he is fast approaching him. And it's not like Bryce is struggling. Bryce is doing a great job right now. But that's just how good Soto's been. These numbers are ridiculous. You gave the September numbers. Well, let's go back to the All-Star break. And look at this. Since the All-Star break, it's over 200 and it's almost 300 plate appearances. Since the All-Star break, he's batting 381 with a 545 on base and a 713 slugging, that's a 1258 OPS since the All-Star break. 63 games. This is not just a little spurt here. And it's everything. It's the walks. It's the homers. He does not give away a single at bat. He's reached base in 10 straight plate appearances that ties a club record. I think the most impressive thing I asked him about after game is how he just literally does not give away a single at bat. And how easy would it be to do that? especially at this time of year on a losing team. And he refuses to do that. And he really takes pride in that. And he said it's something he's been doing since rookie ball. It's such an impressive thing. It's just such a joy to watch him step to the plate right now. And I hate to say it, it doesn't even matter that the team is losing. You know, I mean, they won this game. They've won three in a row. But it wouldn't matter what the score of the game was. If Juan Soto's at the plate right now, I'm watching it. And everybody around baseball should be watching it. And that's why he is a supremely legitimate National League MVP candidate. I tell you, I know we're biased here. It does feel like over the last 24, 48 hours, he has crossed over into the territory of being the leading contender or the most deserving recipient of the award. We'll see what the voting ends up being. But Juan Soto entered games on Thursday, number one among all National League position players in wins above replacement for baseball reference at 6.9. Baseball reference doesn't update the war numbers until the following morning. So we don't know what the war number is for Soto through this game on Thursday. But, you know, safe to say he's right around that seven war territory, which is just outstanding. 
And I know Bryce Harper has a legitimate candidacy. I know a guy like Fernando Tatis has a legitimate candidacy. If you're into the thing of pitchers winning the MVP, there are some pitchers this year in the National League who have strong cases. Honestly, Max Scherzer has a case. Zach Wheeler has a case. But Juan Soto is right there. And you could argue that Juan Soto is worthy of this. It's funny in sports sometimes how great seasons can kind of sneak up on you. And I feel like this has kind of snuck up on some people, in part because Soto's making this late charge. But like this last impression that he's making this season is such a forceful impression. He gets a lot of national attention. We noted that the other day on the podcast, which I think matters a lot in something like this. And I mean, he just keeps going along. It doesn't matter who he's playing. It doesn't matter where he's playing. It doesn't matter who he's facing. You know, the red starting pitcher in this game, Luis Castillo, he was challenging Soto. He wasn't backing down. You know, he was trying to get the guy out. And Soto just kept winning. Those were some great at-bats. That was high theater there, no matter what the result was. Castillo pumping 98-99. Soto fouling him off, working to a full count. Draws the walk in the first at-bat. The single was on a a 3-2 pitch at the end of another long at-bat. And then obviously the two homers later on. It was great theater. And keep in mind, He's got three more games in Cincinnati and then three games at Coors Field before it comes home for the final series against the Red Sox. There is a golden opportunity to keep doing this and more given where he's playing and who he's going to be facing. And, you know, I think it's interesting as much as objectively you want to say, well, hey, an at-bat in April means the same thing as an at-bat in September. We're human beings. We're going to focus on what we saw most recently. If he was doing this in April and then was now doing in September what you know, the way he started the year and sitting in double plays and a lot of ground balls, we're probably not talking about his MVP candidacy. We're not in the same way. We're saying, oh boy, you know, it looked like he might win it for a while, but now he's really cooled off. When you finish strong like this, it does leave that lasting impression in your head. And if he is to finish this off for the next nine games, I do think there's a chance because it's going to be such a positive impression that everyone's going to have on their minds when they go to submit their ballots You can say it's fair or unfair, but I do think it matters, and I think it makes a difference in the end. That Reds ballpark is a bandbox of a ballpark. Just for the record, the two Soto homers on Thursday night, the first one went a projected 368 feet per stat cast. The second one went a projected 348 feet per stat cast. So Soto's got a chance to really fatten up some of these numbers over the remaining three games. It's a four-game series at the Reds. And then, like you said, they're still going to Colorado which is where pitchers go to have their careers destroyed, okay? I mean, what is Soto going to do in the mild high air? It's really exciting to think about. All right, so I was thinking about this. I wanted to bounce this off you. So, you know, you could argue right now, nothing matters more with the Nationals in the long term than do they get a Juan Soto extension done. Him going nuclear like this and potentially winning National League MVP, do you think that this increases the likelihood of a Soto extension this offseason? or decreases the likelihood of a Soto extension this offseason? Because I think you could argue it both ways. Like Maybe this just ramps up the urgency from the learners to a point where they're like, good God, we can't let this guy ever leave. And they make him the godfather offer. And you could also say, Soto has this great season, and he and Boris get together, and they're like, no way are we signing an extension. I'm going to sign a a $700 million contract in a few years. What do you think this means for the potential for a Soto extension with the Nets? Well, let me start by saying that I would argue that the odds of it happening before this or after it were very slim to begin with. And I would still say the odds of it happening are very slim. Not that the Nationals wouldn't want to try to do it, of course. But if you're Juan Soto and you're Scott Boris, this is not their prime time to do it. And 
as great as it is and as uh, high as his value is right now, if you're the Nationals, you have to make him an offer that is so off the charts to even make him consider it. And if you're Scott Boris, you're like, well, no, why would we agree to that now? Don't settle for this when he's at his peak. I think it's highly unlikely all along that would happen. Now, it doesn't mean they shouldn't try. Of course they should. And maybe there's a number out there that could actually get him to say, whoa, hang on a second. But I think the more interesting question, and we've kind of raised this before, ever since the sell-off at the trade deadline, my feeling has been their number one priority now is to make sure that they have a winning team again before Soto can become a free agent. And there's two reasons for that. Number one is so that you still have a chance to win again with him on your roster. Worst case, you would still have a chance at another title while he is a member of your team. Best case, that helps convince him maybe to stay and sign a long-term deal. If you're Juan Soto right now, it's not even just the money. It's also that question of, well, do I know if this team's going to win again in the next six or seven years? You know, yeah, you could say, oh, there's some good signs and we've seen they spend money and all that, but you need a little bit of something of evidence if you're him to feel like, yes, I'm going to have a chance to win again. And we do know that it matters to him. He wants to win games. He wants to win titles. I don't think he just agrees to sign here if he doesn't think this team is ever going to have a chance again. So I think the more interesting question here is, does Soto's late season surge, could it in any way convince the Nationals to this offseason be a little more aggressive and say, we need to try to win sooner, whether that's in 2022 or not, but we can't just wait till 2024. We've got to start making the push now to try to maximize our time with Soto and maybe ultimately help convince him to stay. Yeah, so I've thought about that too. And here's kind of where I'm at on that. In order for them to win again and like really win, like become a sustained winner, they really need to fix themselves internally. They really need to fix this player development issue. And that's not something you're going to fix in an offseason. If they all of a sudden develop this urgency to have to win now, what that's going to mean is they make a bunch of desperate free agent signings and trades. And we know how that works. That doesn't work. You know, it may work in a fleeting fashion, but that's not a long term plan for success. And I just, you know, you think about like, okay, could they sign a bunch of guys this offseason? Sure, they could. But I don't feel like that's going to all of a sudden vault them into the upper echelon of the National League. Like that to me does not put you on the level of the Dodgers or the Giants or, you know, maybe even the Padres at that point. They really need to address this player development thing. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot going on with the Nationals right now. And not to like totally change topics, but this thing that came out on Wednesday from the Washington Post of uh, Sam Madri Cohen, the Nationals assistant general manager of baseball research and development, informing the club he's leaving at the end of the season. And the indication seemed to be he's leaving by his own choice. It's not like he's leaving baseball. He wants to work for another team, but apparently he doesn't want to work for the Nationals anymore. What's going on with that? That your top analytics guy or one of your top analytics guys wants out? He's been with the team since 2009. The Nats just lost another guy in their analytics department to the Colorado Rockies, this guy, Scott Van Lenten. Now he got, I guess, kind of a promotion to go run the Rockies analytics department. So, you know, maybe that's more like, hey, he's on to bigger and better things. But, you know, you have this thing with the Nationals analytics department. We talked the other day about the Nationals parting ways with a bunch of minor league coaches. I think there's a lot to sort through here of what's going on, what changes are being made. And I feel like that's what the Nationals really need to focus on this offseason. Now, yes, I do think they should try to win sooner rather than later. But I think that's tricky because you could end up doing more harm than good if you get desperate and you start you know, throwing money to a bunch of veteran players. That's usually not a formula for lasting success. Okay, so there's a lot here to talk about. <laughs> Let's start with, I agree with you in that they have to be careful 
not to just go for broke and try to build a winner again really quickly because that puts you in the position that they were in in 2020 and 2021, where you're trying to win with the stars that you have and add some pieces and veterans and hope it all works out, but that's not a sustainable formula. And as we've seen, that's where they get into trouble. So I actually agree with you on that, that yes, you can make some moves to try to help make your team better, but ultimately it's got to be about long-term, it's got to be about developing your own, and it's especially got to be about pitching. That's the only way that they're going to win. They can't become the Angels and become the team that has five superstar hitters and not enough pitching to actually win anything. So that's number one there. Number two, the issue of Sam Mondry Cohen. My sense of this is that this is not necessarily him walking away because he doesn't feel valued or that he thinks that the team isn't interested in analytics. I think this is a case of a guy who's a really bright young mind in baseball, has worked his way all the way up from an intern to now having led their analytics department for several years and became an assistant GM. He's got visions of being a GM someday. He's that good. And it would be the type of GM that we've seen in some other towns, the young, really educated, good at math kind of GM. That's not who Mike Rizzo is, of course. I don't think there was anything left for Sam to do here other than have a chance of becoming GM someday. And I don't think Rizzo's giving up that job anytime soon. You know, we've seen some GMs elsewhere decide to like become a team president and sort of hand over the day-to-day operations to a young up-and-comer. I remember asking Rizzo that question last year when he signed his extension. That just doesn't interest him. He loves the day-to-day job. He loves the grind of it. And for better or worse, that's kind of always going to be the case as long as he's here. He's going to be the GM. He's going to do all the nitty-gritty stuff. He's going to take input from everybody he can get beneath him, but it's not necessarily a great place to rise through the ranks, or you can only rise up to a certain level. And to me, I think Sam probably feels like, I don't think he's going to get a GM job this winter, but maybe there's another place he can go to that's a little higher profile that would then set him up to ultimately have a shot at that someday. So I don't know that it's dissatisfaction necessarily as much as I think he did everything he could do here and probably realized there's nothing left for him to do other than continue to hold that job. But these are all fascinating things behind the scenes that are going on. And yes, it is going to be an offseason of change for them in a lot of ways in the organization. Yeah. And again, not to go super deep into the Sam Mondry Cohen scenario, because I mean, Juan Soto is a headline here, but you know, as an organization that has gotten old and has lost its way when it comes to player development, it's not good to lose bright, young, rising minds. And if this guy is like, okay, there's nothing left for me to do here. If he goes somewhere else and thrives, and you have to look back on this as you had this guy and you let him walk, you didn't figure out a way to keep him. That's going to sting. It's going to hurt, you know? And it's just something to think about. Like, I think we all love Mike Rizzo, but even the biggest Rizzo proponent has to admit the organization has lost its way. Like, it has, okay? If you're being objective and you're not being a fanboy, the organization has lost its way and it's got to get better at some things. And, you know, I'm not saying that Sam Madri Cohen would fix everything, but young rising talent like that to lose, that to me is always a dicey proposition. So we'll see. But anyway, yeah, I mean, the formula to getting good again and being good for a while starts with the player development. So, the offseason will be so interesting for so many reasons. you got the looming CBA Armageddon. You know, the Nationals, look, the learners have basically unlimited financial resources if they want to use them, okay? The owners are valued as the richest ownership group in MLB. So I don't know that they want to dip into their personal money, but they can if they want to. And they can sign basically whoever they want. So we'll see if the Nationals end up being big players. But yeah, Juan Soto right now is just out of his mind. One more thing on Soto. Do you think there's any chance 
that he doesn't play the rest of the season? Like, is there any chance that they would rest him over the final few games or anything like that just because, you know, they don't want to risk injury in the meaningless games? Or, or you think he's playing the rest of the year no matter what? Yeah, I think he's playing the rest of the way. Maybe there is a day off somewhere in there, or, you know, on the final day of the season, gets a couple of bats and then gets pulled off the field to a standing ovation, something like that. But that's it. He loves to play. He wants to try to rack up those numbers as much as he can. I don't think he's worried about it. I don't think they're worried about any ramifications from that. He wants to finish this season strong. And, you know, especially if he's trying to win the batting title, trying to pass Harper in the OPS category, you name it, whatever that might be, trying to get to 100 career home runs, which is only three away from now. Yeah, I think we're going to see him probably in the lineup every game the rest of the way, maybe one day off, maybe on that final Sunday against the Red Sox, depending on the situation, maybe getting a curtain call and walking off the field. But uh, no, he, he's not the type. And I don't think Davey Martinez is the type to do that either. So this will not be a Derek Bell operation shutdown situation. <laughs> no, I don't don't think we're going to have that. And also, and I give him a lot of credit for this because we have seen some players over years, especially in that last day of the season, if they've got a batting title locked up, they'll sit or they'll take one at bat and then sit. No, that is not who he is. I would bet my life that if it comes down to that, that he will want to play out the game and not just retire early, so to speak, and let the number speak for itself. No, I think he's going to want to earn it. Yeah. Google Jose Reyes about that one. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates, a huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005. Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's coppersmith, 
with a K. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Tim Bogar is coming out, and they're gonna say that's it. Corbin, six and two-thirds shutout innings, is not gonna get a chance to finish the inning. And the Nationals are going to call on Mason Thompson. Patrick Corbin with a terrific outing. He overcame some early control woes and was able to pitch deep into the game and so far not allowed a run, although he is responsible for the runner at third. Another guy who stood out on Thursday night, Patrick Corbin. So Patrick Corbin had a good outing for the Nationals in this 3-2 victory at the Cincinnati Reds. Six and two-thirds scoreless innings, seven strikeouts. Now, He did issue four walks, but he also gave up just four hits, a double and three singles. Corbin threw 59 strikes versus 40 balls on 99 pitches. This actually does mark a third good outing in Corbin's last four starts. He allowed three runs in seven innings and a 4-3 win over the Mets at Nationals Park on September 6th. He allowed two runs in seven innings and a 6-2 win at the Pittsburgh Pirates on September 12th. Now, his most recent outing prior to this one on Thursday night was a disaster. 6-0 loss to Colorado at Nationals Park last Saturday. Six runs, five earned in four innings. Do you think there's anything to him ending on a relative high note in three good outings over the last four? Or do we still say Patrick Corbin? I mean, we know it's been a mess of a season. Is he still a wreck and you really can't take too much from three of these last four starts? Or do you think you can take at least something from three of these last four starts? Well, what I would say is I don't think it matters what we think about if this matters or not. What I can tell you is that he thinks it matters. And in his mind, this is something. He feels much better about the state of things now than he did you know, a month ago. He feels like he's throwing the ball well. Yeah, there was the bad start against the Rockies, but in the bigger picture, he sees some signs of progress. And I personally thought that this was the closest he's looked to 2019 since then. I know he's had some good outings along the way this year. But this one stood out to me because you mentioned the four walks. That actually was something he would do in 2019. He would fall into those traps where he'd walk a couple guys, he'd load the bases, and then he was able to dig his way out of it. And to me, 
It was a two-batter sequence in this game in the third inning. He gave up back-to-back walks to India and Stevenson. Now he's got to face the two best hitters on that team, two of the best hitters in the league, Nick Castellanos and Joey Votto with the bases loaded. And he went right after them. They were good, big battle at bats. And he got them both. He gets Castellanos on a 2-2 slider. He gets Votto on a 2-2 slider. The seventh pitch of that at bat. Here's the set and the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on a slider. Ruiz picks it up out of the dirt, steps on home plate to complete the strikeout. And Patrick Corbin does an amazing job to get out of a jam in the third inning. Those are some of the best pitches he's thrown all year. That's the Patrick Corbin slider that made him so effective two years ago. And so, yeah, it's a small little thing, and maybe it doesn't really mean anything in the big picture. And you can argue whether that you know two at-bats on September 23rd in a meaningless game matter. But I think in his mind, it did matter. And that's the only person who it matters to. <laughs> to all of us, it doesn't. But if he believes it, George Costanza, not a lie if you believe it. If Patrick Corbin believes that was important, then it is important. And so I'm going to give him that one. Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us as Nationals fans, Nationals observers, there is an exhaustion with the Patrick Corbin conversation. You just don't know what to think. The last two years have not gone well. This season has been a disaster. So I guess it's like anything that you can kind of cling to down the stretch here, you'll take. I think you can cling to this to some degree, right? Three good starts out of the last four. It'll be interesting to see what he does in his final outing. Because if he gets bombed in that outing, then, you know, we're going to look back upon this conversation we just had and like, what were we thinking? But if he does well, you say, all right, you know what? Maybe there's something there. I mean, all along we've said it, the velocity is there. And it's never felt like it's plausible that this is who he now is, that he's a pitcher with an ERA over six. The same guy we saw in 2019, who's still in his early 30s, would unravel like this. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, this game on Thursday night was his 30th start of the season. He's been healthy. Like, there's something to be said for him having made 30 starts this year. So it's just like, all right, fix whatever's going wrong. And I know it's easy for us to say that, but maybe they are finding some fixes down the stretch. So good for him for doing that. The Nationals bullpen on Thursday night, geez, it, it is just, it is never simple with this bullpen. So two Nats relievers were good, but one was not. Mason Thompson comes into the game, bottom of the seven, two outs, runner on second, Nats up three, nothing. And Mason gets a job done, strikes out Jonathan India on four pitches. Tanner Rainey tosses a scoreless bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts, not three, and he does issue a walk. What's wrong with the guy? Uh, But Rainey gets a job done. But then Kyle Finnegan struggles in the bottom of the ninth inning, gives up two runs, a leadoff first pitch single by Eugenio Suarez, gives up a pinch RBI triple by Max Schrock, gives up a pinch RBI ground out by Tucker Barnhart, and then Finnegan also issues a two-out full count hit-by-pitch of Jonathan India. You know, I was wondering as this game went on, are we going to see Davey use Tanner Rainey to close out any games down the stretch here? And might we have seen that on Thursday night? We obviously didn't, but Rainey looks good again, bottom of the eighth. Finnegan struggles again, bottom of the ninth. Do you think we're going to see that Tanner Rainey receive the opportunity to close out a game or two down the stretch here? You're a smart man, Al, because I asked Davey that exact question after the game, and I thought his answer was really telling. Today was a situation where Rainey in the eighth was the ninth. I mean, he felt the bulk of the, you know, the bulk of the the the, the better hitters where we felt, and um, he did a great job. He used him in the eighth inning against the heart of their lineup. He thought that was more important than the ninth inning, and I give him a lot of credit for that because that wasn't just the oh we have to save our best pitcher for the ninth. Like no, he knew that the eighth inning against Castellanos and Votto was the bigger spot, and he wanted to see Tanner Rainey, who has looked lights out since he came back, pitching those spots. And what did he do? Struck out Castellanos. He did walk Votto, but 
you know, like, let's concede that that's okay. You can walk Joey Votto. It's not the end of the world to do that. He's one of the best hitters on the planet, one of the best eyes outside of Juan Soto. So I actually thought that was a really big inning for him. And my hunch is that if the situation arises again, and the heart of the lineup is coming up in the ninth inning, and they have a slim lead, he will be the guy. I think they want to get him into that role. I think that's what they've envisioned all along. I think they know that Finnegan, as nice of a job as he's done, is on fumes at this point, and probably was never really their plan to be a closer all along. So Finnegan technically gets the save in this game, but I think they believe that Rainey got the save in this game. So you do think if the heart of the Reds lineup was coming up in the ninth, we would have seen Rainey in the ninth on Thursday night? I think so. I think so. Based on both how he's looked and even just from an evaluation standpoint, I think they want to use this last week to see how he handles that stuff because ultimately that may be where he is pitching for them. They certainly have not given up on that guy. They believe that he still has the potential to be a big time reliever for them. And I'll tell you what, what we've seen here that was 10 big league hitters in a row that he retired, seven via strikeout. And if you count the uh, last three minor league appearances, it was 19 in a row retired, 16 by strikeout. That is some phenomenal stuff. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You could also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park and make sure you stop by Silver Branch located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Here a 2-1 count on Bell. Castillo delivers, and the pitch is lined into left field. That's a base hit. The Nationals will take the lead. Thomas comes in to score. Soto rounds second and holds. Josh Bell picks up his 86th RBI of the season with a single to left, and the Nationals lead the Reds 1-0 in the third inning. A few other observations from this 3-2 Nats win at the Reds on Thursday night. Another good game for Josh Bell. Two for three with two singles into walk. Top of the third, a two-out opposite field RBI single. To left field, top of the sixth, a five-pitch walk. Top of the seventh, a two-out single. His OPS for the season is up to 821. His on-base percentage for the season now is at 340. If not for Soto, I feel like a lot more attention would be on Josh Bell and the very strong fashion with which he's ending his season. Like this, he's really putting an exclamation mark on his 2021 season. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that's kind of going hand-in-hand with what Soto's doing. I think they're feeding off each other. I think it's been good for them both. And yeah, I think it positions him and the team very well going into the offseason that there's not really going to be any kind of question about should he be the first baseman? Should he be the cleanup hitter? Should he be the guy hitting behind Soto next year? No, I think that's taken care of, no doubt. And it's going to be now supplying them with some more help 
up and down the lineup to make it a more complete lineup. Although, like we've been saying, the lineup really hasn't been the problem. They're scoring runs. I don't think they go into 2022 with these nine or these eight as their everyday players. I think there's some move to be made there somewhere, one or two at least. But they're in a better position lineup-wise than probably we thought they would be and can probably afford to devote most of their attention this winter on the pitching staff. Another hit for Kbert Ruiz on Thursday night, one for four with a double, top of the six, a one-out double down the right field line on a one-two pitch. It was interesting, Luis Garcia was the Nationals' number five batter on Thursday night. He's been going really well, did not do well on Thursday night, 0 for four with a strikeout, left six men on base, but you know, guys are going to have bad games, but what would you think about that? That was kind of surprising. Luis Garcia is the Nats' number five hitter. Well, so Yadiel Hernandez went on the paternity list. His wife's about to give birth to their uh, second child. And so I thought it was interesting that Davey did put Garcia in that spot. And he said it is something he wants to do, especially against righties, see how he handles it. And he told him going into the game, don't treat these any differently now. (laughs) Keep doing the same things you've been doing. And I have to say, I thought uh, in those first couple of bats, he comes up with runners in scoring position and he pops up on the first pitch once, flied out on a one-two pitch the next time up. I do wonder if he got a little antsy in those moments. And it's why, you know, we can say that he's looked really good and we're seeing improvement, but there's still a long way for him to go. For a 21-year-old, it's hard to do, but when you are coming up in those big spots, two outs, runners in scoring position, you've got to be able to settle down, treat the at-bats just like any other, and maybe this was his first opportunity to do that, and you know he still has some things to learn about how to approach those situations. And another bad game for Carter Keyboom. From a position player standpoint, this might be the biggest negative right now. Carter is not ending his season in a good way. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts on Thursday night. Here is your Carter Keyboom September slash line. Batting average of 167, on base percentage of 244, slugging percentage of 179. He is hit for like no power this month. His only hits seem to be singles. A lot of them seem to be like these cheapy singles into the shallow outfield and You know, look, I I don't think we're at the point with Keeble where we say, like, he's a lost cause. I think he's back with them next year, and maybe he's their opening day third baseman. We'll see. But a guy who was going well for a while, had his OPS for the season well into the 700s, he's really dipped down over these last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, look, the season totals now are not looking good. 208 batting average, 303 on base, 323 slugging. That's not going to cut it. There was that moment for a couple of weeks where we started to see something and thought that maybe he was turning a corner, but he has not been able to sustain it. They are looking at some things with his swing. They think he's getting a little a little too much movement, especially in his legs. So it is something to work on. And I said before, I don't think they're going to go into next year with these same eight necessarily in their lineup. If I had to pick one spot that I could see maybe looking for improvement, that's probably the one. I would say third base and left field at the moment. Things can still change. The moment I'd say third base and left field would be the ones I'd be most concerned with and maybe needing to find at least uh, some help there or some competition there, if not, you know, an out and out veteran starter instead of the Kibum or Yadiel Hernandez. Yeah, it's interesting watching Eugenio Suarez because that's a name that has come up previously with the Nationals, them potentially trying to trade for him to fix third base. I don't know if he's still on Mike Rizzo's radar or not, but, uh, Perhaps that's an option for the Nationals. Well, he's having a terrible year. He's hitting 183. Right, so maybe you can buy low on him. I mean, maybe you could do something like that. I mean, the Nats still don't have a lot to give up for people. Like, the the farm system is still not in great shape, and you certainly don't want to be trading away the good prospects you do have. So that might not be the worst thing in the world. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. 
We got this email regarding potential offseason targets for the Nationals. This comes to us from Henry Marks. He asks, what about Chris Taylor, the very versatile Dodger, the Virginia product, to potentially play an infield spot, maybe shortstop? And Kyle Schwarber as the DH. If there's a universal DH, you know, we've talked about Yadiel Hernandez and Ryan Zimmerman, if he's back. What about bringing back old Schwarby? You know, maybe the Nationals can lead the National League again in uh, DH candidates. Uh, maybe next year there actually will be a DH. But that's interesting, Schwarber being back. What do you think about the likelihood of something like that? Yeah, if it happens, I would almost say I'd rather have him as my left fielder and maybe part-time DH, and you're kind of moving guys all around. Yeah. Uh, we're assuming there's a DH. If Zim is back, if Yadiel Hernandez is back, if they re-sign Schwarber, I mean, that's a chance to use a lot of different guys in that role. And I think we said, like, Schwarber was fine in left field. You know, not a gold glover, but he certainly got the job done and had a good arm and all that. So that one's kind of intriguing to me. I have no idea from Schwarber's standpoint if it's important at this point for him to be with the team that's trying to win right now. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. He obviously loved his time here. I don't think that's an issue at all. I don't know how he's enjoying Boston. He's been playing a lot of first base, surprisingly, for the first time in his career, and I don't think it's gone all that well. So that would be one I'd be interested in. Chris Taylor, you know, that's interesting. Uh, he's very versatile, can do a lot of different things. I just wonder if a player like that, who's been with the Dodgers for several years, is looking to sign with a rebuilding team. That feels a little out of, you know, where he would ultimately fit in. And to sign someone like that, if you're the Nationals, you might be overpaying or giving more years than you would want to do. So I, they have to be careful with this stuff because you both want to sign guys who can help make you a better team next year, but it's really got to be made with the long-term in mind. So that's two different things. You're either signing somebody who you believe is going to be part of your next winning team in two or three years, or you're signing a stopgap to provide some production for you and not block that position for somebody else who may be coming down the road. So you either sign guys to one-year deals or you're signing maybe three or four years and hoping that they're a part of the next winning team. So it's a little bit of threading a needle there. And it's not just as simple as just signing whoever you might think are the best players. They've got to be the right fit for all that uh, taken into consideration. Yeah. And the other thing too is, I mean, you look at what's realistic. So you sign some guys. So then what are you next year? An 82 win team? Like, what does that do for you? That doesn't do anything for you. You know, like the goal has got to be, you get back to winning 90 plus games a season, right? Mike Rizzo always talked about that. You put together a roster that's going to get you to 90 wins and then you see what happens in October. If you put together a roster that's going to get you to 81 wins, 82 wins, so what? That doesn't do, you, you might as well lose 100 games next year, you know, and, and save yourself the payroll, accumulate a nice draft choice, sell off some more pieces and do things that way. So it's not easy. That's why it does come back to the player development. I guess the only thing would be you could sign guys this offseason who you could potentially trade next season, you know, so you could look at it like that way, you know, so you, you, you sign Kyle Schwarber and then you trade him again next year. Maybe, maybe, maybe they dance that dance. But beyond that, you know, it's hard to fix everything in one offseason. Like if they're going to get good again quickly, it's going to require these guys they got in the sell-off panning out sooner rather than later. And we'll see. I mean, it's, you know, there's still a lot to be determined with these people. I'm okay with a few fairly cheap stopgap solutions because they can help you be a little better team, maybe allow some younger guys to have some more time to come up. And then, like you said, potentially make some trades down the road. I think in the bullpen, especially, that's an area that they could do it. But no, you're right. That's not a way that you go and try to build another winning team. But I'm okay with a couple of those kind of stopgap players. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world to do that, even if uh, you may be sacrificing a few draft slots in search of a couple extra wins. Game two for the Nats at the Reds Friday night at 7-10. Paolo Espino 
will be taking on Sonny Gray. Will you tell us what you think? You can always reach us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We continue to welcome your 2022 predictions for the Nationals. The offseason becoming a bigger and bigger topic. So if you have thoughts on who the Nationals should target, if you have predictions for who the Nationals will get this offseason, let us know. Record yourself speaking into your smartphone and then email the file to us again. The uh, email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Secret weapon in action on Friday night. You can get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.com. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we'll leave you right now with a voice memo from Eric Fussfield of Arlington. He brings us a World Series memory from October 2019. Al, Mark, Tim, this is Eric Fussfield of Arlington weighing in with the 2019 postseason memory. I've listened to every minute of every episode of the Nats Chat Podcast. It's not a habit, it's a lifestyle. Al, like you, I'm part of the generation of DMV baseball fans who grew up without a team in D.C. But the difference is, I was religiously determined not to root for the Orioles, who, under Peter Angelos, actively obstructed Washington's path to securing a team. Fortunately, my patience was rewarded in 2005 when baseball returned here. Fast forward to 2019, Some of the small moments are the ones I remember the most. I remember going to the watch party at Nats Park for Game 1 of the World Series and was surprised how much like a home game experience it was with fireworks and the PA playing busting loose and, of course, the crowd going nuts when Ryan Zimmerman hit the first World Series homer in Nats history. I remember being at my house for Game 7 and watching Daniel Hudson retire the side in order. I feel like I can recall every one of the 12 pitches he threw, particularly the second pitch pop-up to George Springer, the three consecutive high strikes to Altuve, and the swing and a miss to Michael Brantley to end the series. They may have had a four-run lead, but for Nats fans with long memories, that was a little comfort until the Brantley strikeout. Each out Hudson recorded made me think, wait, this might actually happen. It probably will happen. And then it did. But like a lot of Nats fans, what I will probably remember most is the Juan Soto bases clearing single in the wildcard game, which I saw in person. I remember telling the friend I was with, if he can just get a clean based hit past the infield, the game will be tied. When I saw the ball land in right field, I turned to my friend and said, he did it. The game is tied. It was so loud in the ballpark, we could barely hear each other. But my friend pointed to right field and said, no, look. I turned back to the field and there was Trent Grisham with his back toward us, running in the opposite direction in pursuit of the ground ball that had slipped past his glove. After trailing since the top of the first inning, the Nats were now in front. And just like that, out comes Daniel Hudson to nail down the save. What was transformative about that moment was not just that a key player had come through in the clutch, but that the Nats had caught a break with the Grisham error, just like they got a break on the Michael A. Taylor hit-by-pitch call in the same inning, which could have gone either way. And this is what it takes to win championships, isn't it? Clutch performances mixed with the occasional lucky break that shows the team has fortune on its side. One of the best things about that moment was the classic Charlie Slow's call on radio, which I only heard later. 
20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game-changer here. He time-stamped it by referencing Soto's youth and underscoring how monumental an opportunity this was for such a young player. Of course, by mentioning this call, I'm hoping and expecting you'll play the recording, which is pure goosebumps for Nats fans. The best part is when the roar of the crowd and the excitement in the announcer's voice make the words unintelligible, but it hardly matters because the listener knows something great is happening. Thanks for listening to my message and for providing Nats fans with this indispensable podcast. Keep it up with the spot-on insight and analysis and the occasional Seinfeld references. Best baseball podcast I've ever heard, hands down. Take care. 20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game-changer here. He'll turn 21 on the 25th of October, completing his second year in the big leagues. Base is loaded. One ball, one strike. Hater the set, the kick, here it comes. Swing and a line drive, base hit right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The ball missed in right field. Rounding third. Coming home is Rendon. He will score, but now caught in a run down is Soto. He will be tagged out by Moustakis, but that's the third out. Three runs, score on the play. A base hit to drive in, two runs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.